0: Welcome to the Sports Business Strategy Podcast, a podcast so niche, niche called and asked us to find a different word because we were being so niche. Oof. That, was, that, was, that was probably my worst one. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Sports Business Strategy Podcast. I'm Armand Alawalia. I'm Will Item.
1: And I'm Brittany Ramos.
0: Welcome back again group. We're keeping busy, you know, it's playoffs. I mean, obviously Brittany's had one extra week of games and, you know, this is week two for her. So she's the veteran here in terms of the playoffs this year. So yeah, no, we're busy. Brittany, how are things in LA?
1: Yeah. You know, we're really excited. We made it past the wild card, which, you know, is always a tough one to go play Seattle three times this year. So third time's the charm. Glad we did it. Um, but no, every game feels a little weird since we're not, uh, you know, in person, but excited to go on to, to the next round and head up to the, the cold tundra of Green Bay. And Armand's gotten got to have an awesome uh, little bye week last week. So rest it up for a good matchup this week.
0: For, you know, having a bye week, it just provides a lot more time to prepare because everything is super heightened. Your partners, they want to make sure they don't miss this moment, the strategy, you know, to kind of grow your social channels. It's uh it's a pretty big deal.
1: And I am completely opposite. So we didn't know if we were going to make it past last round. So we uh, our timelines are a little tight around here, but we couldn't be more excited.
2: <laughs> well, let's talk about that. So tonight it's Wednesday evening. This will go live tomorrow. Talk to me about, you know, Brittany, what did you do these last 72 hours or so once you knew that, okay, there's another round, where does the work start? And then Armand, curious, like, what is the last eight days been like for you?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for us, it's really, you know, we obviously have planning meetings if hypothetically we make the the rounds, but once it's, once you get that green light, it's like, okay, creative, here's all the logos for partners on these assets and, and let's make sure like everything is, on schedule, ready to go and um, making sure that, you know, everything's in place and um, just getting, hopefully trying to get our fans excited too, not only our partners, but our fans. It's it's tough again, being here in LA, we, we don't get a, a real big chance to be in person. So the digital and social world has been our, our space to, uh, you know, try to, try to engage as much as possible to get people excited and actually knowing that, you know, we're in the playoffs, you know. We can't have like a big crazy rally in person, so um, you know it's it's a, a challenge, but something you know we're trying to do to get LA excited about it.
0: Yeah, I think for us, it's you know every year that I've been here, we've had kind of one step closer in the playoffs, and so in the first year, kind of like Brittany, we didn't know until the last week whether we were in or not, and we were waiting, and they put it on the big jumbotron, and then the minute that the game was over, it was. Panic, panic, panic! Now we've got somewhat of a plan. We've got a process in place. It makes a huge difference. But like Brittany said, as soon as that game is confirmed, everything just completely just takes this almost warp speed. Um, get everything done. Get finance ready to go. To invoice people for partners. You know, we've got COVID tests going on. So can we get all the messaging out? Because what a lot of people don't realize is the wild card is actually really hard to prepare for. Knowing that. You don't actually know if you're playing till that weekend, probably. And you got to sell if you're home hosting a game, you know, upwards of 60,000 in a normal year. Tickets, you got to message people, you got to get the timing right, you got to get all the production, content, and not to mention, like we mentioned last time, is that the NFL season is a massive grind, where you are just going for 17 weeks, you know, the bye week is great, but really, it's another week of just getting ready. And then you just transition into the playoffs, and it's just even more hyper-focused, And you can't miss and there's lots of opportunities to be made and lots of strides to be gained. So it's hectic, it's chaotic, but the payoff is great when you have a win, right? You know, Brittany was lucky enough to have the Rams pull out a great victory against the Seahawks. And what that does for the brand is it only continues to increase, which continues to increase for the partners and continue to add more value through a number of different channels. So all in all, it's a great experience. It can become very tiring, a lot of late nights during the week, but it's an incredible experience.
2: well i don't want to talk about nfl too much today our guest is hunter renfro from the dallas cowboys so we're gonna have plenty of nfl talk uh let's just get into it Uh, we have a new segment uh, before our interview this week uh this one has been named by armand alawalia armand what is the name of this segment so this segment is called upon further review
1: after reviewing the play the call
2: That's right. Upon further review, where we take a look at an activation that has happened in the last couple of weeks um, and just provide a couple of thoughts on it. Uh, So this is something that I actually had brought up in my Twitter feed a week or so ago. This is in the NBA, uh, but I know it's not new to the NBA. A couple of NFL teams had done it recently. Uh, The Washington Wizards are doing a second screen experience uh, that pairs with their television broadcast. Um, It's called the Wizards Virtual Game Day. It's presented by the NBC Sports Washington. And the whole concept of it is you can go online, uh, watch the game from your television, have a chat room online, and then as soon as the game goes to a commercial break, you can watch any promotions like the Wizard Dancers. You can also feed... Sponsorship messages, whether it's announcing Papa John's' you know discount promotion, or whether it's showcasing something from you know they've done the Wizards Kids Club presented by Giant. So there's a lot of opportunity to recreate the in arena experience. So right now, what I've seen is that they do it only during home games, and they have this little counter on the top right. I believe there have been about twenty thousand unique people who have at least logged on in the first couple of home games so uh, you have to create an account so there's a good use of data collection it's a way for you to be able to tell your partner that you know we might not have had the 18,000 fans in the arena to watch this game but we had you know 18,000 people watching this feed who did happen to catch uh, your promotion now Washington's not giving us too many details on those uh, numbers of you know the percentage of time people are watching but I bet you they know Uh, that information. And so that's definitely going to be a good resource for them. What are your guys' thoughts on the idea of the second screen experience? How have you seen it play out in the NFL?
1: Yeah, I think it was uh, surprising that, you know, we actually saw some decent watch time engagement where fans were actually spending some time on the experience um you know for a longer duration than was what was expected so throughout the year we kind of played with some different you know ways that we were interacting whether it was you know virtual high-fiving and cheering to content more you know b-roll from a sponsorship perspective you know we kind of had this ability to create this you know first time for us experience from a second screen that we had personally done um, with some different partner activations within there from banner ads to, as I mentioned, B-roll. Um, and then from just like a, a pure brand marketing fan experience to, you know, creating kind of a, a pre-show experience, et cetera, that um, usually we only do more on our social channels. So what what I've found even from our all of our mobile experiences, and especially second screen, was just surprisingly um, how many how many minutes fans actually like stayed within the experience, which I personally was was shocked on just because you know you're watching a game or you're watching a pre-show. I didn't know what to expect.
0: Yeah, I think from my perspective, I think it's the ability to have control of what you want to push out. Because I mean, a lot of times, you know, when you're advertising on Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, it's kind of it's not your platform to really own, whereas this website, this opportunity, I think platform owning in terms of really getting those sponsors out there to really have those fans integrate and potentially provide discounts, really give what the fans what they want. But I also think it provides an opportunity for people that are in remote areas or people that can't always see the game on their regional network or internationally to really kind of chime in and become fans and build in that brand affinity. So... I think there's a lot of opportunity in this. I'd be curious to see where this goes, if this becomes more popular um, among the different sports. But Will, what do you think about this? I mean, I know this is kind of your thing that you were really excited about. Is this something that you think is kind of the, the next big, I don't want to say partner make good, but partner opportunity to kind of really connect with the fans?
2: So what I will say right now is that I do not know what the right answer is. I'm hoping that those who are doing it right now can help me out and tell me uh, what is right. My initial thoughts, though, Uh, from a second screen experience i understand that there are a lot of teams who are trying to capture that second screen attention for me when i am doing that whole second screen experience my first screen will be the game my second screen is anything other than the game the whole reason i have a second screen experience you know whenever we do those surveys where someone says oh yeah i have a second screen in front of me when i watch the game it's so i can be on twitter You know, if I'm watching an NFL game, I'm scrolling NBA Twitter, you know, as opposed to consuming the NFL at the same time, or I'm just trying to. Uh, listen to a completely different conversation about the nfl game that comes from my twitter feed as opposed to connecting with the same kind of messaging that might come from a team so um, if you're looking for like say that really niche audience who really does want both the game and then a way to talk to a community and it's kind of one cohesive piece then hey that's a really great niche audience that you can target to and they're diehard fans my concern is just you know a lot of people when they say they want that second screen experience it's the other thing that they're doing like I'm playing Among Us, that new game that I don't even know if it's new. I think the kids are done playing it, but it's a fun little mobile game. That's what I'm playing when I'm also watching the Thunder game, you know? So it'll be interesting to see how you can keep someone's attention and make the second screen experience just as fun as the first screen.
0: I think I think you bring a really good point up, Will, is that when I'm watching the Chiefs games, right, when they're away or, or whatnot, I'm texting my friends rather than watching another feed of it or another entity or, or whatever the case may be. I, I'm scrolling through Twitter, but mainly I'm just texting my friends. And again, maybe this is an opportunity to kind of bridge that community together where there is some synergies where you can kind of be a part of a larger community, almost like you're at the game, right? So to think about when you go to a game, there's a huge community that sits around you in the season ticket members or your single games, you go with friends. I think that, that sense of community is probably something that people are really missing in this time when we're all kind of separated, but kind of connected. I don't know.
1: You know, there's always this stat of how many, all most of your fans are not at games. They're, you know, they are home watching the game or wherever um, watching. So I think, you know, where I see this going is that I think teams will continue to hopefully just create better programming within the second experience because I feel like you know for example there's there was a a lot more peak engagement where we saw when we were doing prizing and we were doing giveaways and we were doing things that were interactive versus just informational feeding that when it was something that people felt like they could engage actually with the second screen it seemed like it was a lot more receptive so I think you know as teams get creative with programming that to your point I think especially as you look at your different audiences from regional and and beyond even to international there can be some really great engagement points there in the future
2: and I know it's also I think this is a pregame for you all but your Rams house rally I think the other thing too when you're doing the second screen experience is it might be uh, taxing or a little bit of fatigue to have done like 41 games if the Wizards are doing you know every home game they're doing this whereas like with your Rams house rally you're having Tori Holt Stephen jackson you're like having big name alums to be a part of that so maybe this is more of a one or two three times a year to get as many people as possible as opposed to sprinkling it out across you know all the regular season games um you're doing a text rally uh it seems like possibly to collect data what are the other kind of data collecting things you're doing with this uh, youtube rally that's going live tomorrow
1: yeah so unfortunately being in los angeles we don't have a lot of opportunities to be in person so we have Tried to become experts at virtual rallying and virtual get-togethers. Um, I won't say that it's what we prefer, but we're we're doing our best. And um, you know, I think it's a great way. Just again, you know, we really wanted to create a moment for our fans to be able to come together and share in an experience that, you know, I know we're all a little bit fatigued from the digital world right now, but just to to your point earlier, bringing together the community, hearing from people they don't really hear from all the time, whether it's our, you know, Hall of Fame alumni to Les who's our GM and and Kevin who's our president and also some good um, player personalities, which is very important. Um, (laughs) And also, you know, utilizing NFL network talent. And then obviously our, our own talent in house to, to really draw in that audience and, and make it worthwhile to sit in front of the computer. Um, it'll be on our YouTube channel, which we've been really leaning into and building that audience and, you know, looking at that Gen Z, um, audience and, um, and then also on Facebook live for your more traditional fans and maybe older audience, which no shame. Um, and then, uh, you know, having uh, some data collection from a uh, texting and obviously utilizing our, our digital channels with email and, and social uh, interaction as well. So um, excited, you know, again, we're, we're sad we can't be there in person, but we feel like, you know, hopefully people will want to tune in even for a couple minutes minutes to, to show their pride.
2: So if you are one of our listeners who uh, listens to the podcast on Thursday mornings with the dog walk, uh, that's happening at six o'clock Pacific time, the day this drops on Thursday. So if you want to see what that's all about, uh, definitely check it out. Help uh, Brittany out with those uh, numbers.
1: Thank you. Thank
2: You, <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Uh, and with that, uh, that has been uh, our new segment, Upon Further Review.
3: After review, the ruling on the field stands. Buffalo is not charged a timeout as the replay official stopped the play.
2: That was awfully close. And with that, let's get into our interview with manager of corporate partnerships, research, and analytics at the Dallas Cowboys, Hunter Renfro. All right, and on to our guest this week he's a manager of corporate partnerships, research and analytics for the Dallas Cowboys. This is an all NFL pod today. It is Hunter Renfro. Hunter, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on with you guys. Absolutely. Uh, Hunter, not only with the NFL, but he also has some Oklahoma ties. Uh, used to work with the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, on the business intelligence side. So it is all connected, isn't
3: it? That's true. It is. Um, it it's always says like you can go like almost two to three steps, um, and you can find some way to be connected with somebody.
2: Well, let's go ahead and start there then. You've got ties to Oklahoma City. Uh, the first question we always like to ask our guests is just to give a quick background of where you started in sports, how you got to where you are now.
3: Yeah, so I did a internship uh, with the Thunder um, in Oklahoma City there. Uh, I was in college, and Then when I graduated. Uh, started out in ticket sales with the Energy, uh, which is a USL soccer team, Uh, quickly learned that ticket sales was not for me, um, and really didn't know that this analytics world, uh, strategy world kind of lived out there um, until I I found Learfield um, and found this research and analytics role um, with Learfield. Um, That that brought me to Dallas um, and really led me down this path of research analytics and strategy really opened my eyes to to that world I, I remember when i was interviewing for that position one of the things that i kept coming back to was one of my favorite classes in college was always on marketing research so it was kind of just i didn't know it was a world that was out there uh, but somehow i found it i would say i'm pretty lucky to to find that i gonna be in it um and then i spent about three years but Learfield, love my time there. Um, and then moved over to the Dallas Cowboys where I am now, uh, which is funny because my wife actually found the job posting. I um, was like, hey, you should apply. And I was like, well, I kind of like my job. So maybe not. But then I was like, why not? I'll just, I'll just shoot over a resume to them. And somehow now I'm here with uh, the Dallas Cowboys working with their core partnership team as their research analytics.
2: So talk to us a little bit about how the Cowboys structure is. It's different from team to team, league to league. You know, you say manager research analytics, is that housed within the the BI team partnerships? How do those two uh, departments uh, interact with each other?
3: Right. It's both. I technically report to the director of data analytics who sits on the brand and marketing team. And that's my direct report. But I have a dotted line to the senior manager of corporate partnership strategy, um, which is a newer role. Uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. It's been about there for about a year. Um so it really started even since I've been there. Um but it's I, I'm I'm both I I have connections to both sides of that, the brand and marketing side and the core partnership side, but I solely focus on core partnerships. 100 percent of my day is is on core partnerships. That's my sole focus and, and I'm the, the research analytics person behind uh, the strategy team on core partnerships. We have A couple of graphic designers, a couple of videographers, a guy that's just over our core system, um, and then myself and our senior manager of strategy.
0: That's great. So, you know, one of the things I guess I'm I'm curious about is obviously, you know, the Cowboys are a, you know, a well-oiled machine. They're America's team. They have this kind of broad reach. Uh, how do you spend your day thinking about how to reach those people from a corporate partnership perspective? Or is that kind of the way that you guys think about things when you're trying to use analytics on the partnership side?
3: Yeah, reach is is huge for the Cowboys. Um, Being America's team, we like to talk about that, I'm sure as you guys are aware. uh, We like to tout that we're America's team. Um, Maybe too much. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of it is is showing that we have fans throughout the United States. throughout the world technically too. Um, but you know we we like to talk about if you partner with us you can reach fans in, in New York City and you can reach fans in, in LA or for anywhere you are. We we have fans all over. Um, now we we do drill down to different areas. Um, we're technically only supposed to market in Texas and Oklahoma based off the league's rules. So you know we we do drill down to those areas. Um, and talk about Texas and Oklahoma, and then go down to DFW too, if it makes sense for, for the right partner. Um, we can customize kind of our data that way. But a lot of the times we always start big. We always start with showing um, United States as a whole and our reach as a whole throughout the whole United States. Um, and then sometimes hopefully we can expand to, to other markets too. And like Mexico, where we have a big following fan fan base is huge so hopefully at some point we can we can start talking about them too
1: so obviously the cowboys you not only have the team but you have a lot of other different properties you know you have the star you have all of these things that jerry jones the man himself has really you know built this incredible portfolio for for your team to utilize how do you guys you know from a strategy perspective Look at utilizing that as you go into a partnership.
3: Yeah, it's it's helpful um, for sure. It allows us to create assets that maybe we wouldn't be able to to do um, if we were just limited to the team. Because um, we can do stuff at the star that, for one, that we can make up ourselves and we don't have to get league approval for. Uh, we can do stuff. You know, we can just create stuff out there if we need if we need to for a partner. Um, whatever makes sense. So, um, I mean, most stuff goes draws back to the Cowboys and, and starts there, but it really gives us a lot of flexibility in terms when it comes to partners and what we can do because we can do a lot of creative stuff at the star um, and with other assets, or we can tie in some other things with some other Jones entities that, that Jerry himself owns. It's almost like you guys have to
0: kind of balance all the personalities, right? I mean, you guys have got the family, which in itself is an entity, you've got the cheerleaders. You've got kind of all these personalities. So how do you guys try to balance that when obviously trying to devote resources and times to these platforms? And I know Brittany loves a good platform and building one out. So this might be her kind of question after her own heart, but how do you guys try to take time to develop those and build out those personalities and brands so that you can become more sellable assets and then entities that can be worthwhile?
3: Yeah, it's a a good question. And really, it's great to have all those different um, buckets to have the family, um, to have the cheerleaders, uh, to have all those different places for for partners to be involved in. Um, And it's really about relationships with them, um, having relationships ourselves with the family, having relationships with the cheerleaders, making sure that from a corporate partnership team standpoint that we have good relationships with with everybody within our organization. Um, Because at the end of the day, a lot of the people in the organization are helping core partnerships. The cheerleaders, if they're going out and just posting pictures wherever they are um, and kind of doing things on their own, then that hurts us where we could come in and help them find a hair salon, help them find somebody that you know, will make their uniforms, you know, kind of do all that stuff while also helping the Dallas Cowboys as a whole in terms of how much money we can bring into the organization.
1: As we know, 2020 was a really challenging year for all of us. We had to adapt and create new inventory and new strategies because obviously we are in a world that we've never experienced before. Is there something from 2020 that you guys either created or adapted to, or you know whether it's a program, a platform, or you know an activation you were really proud of, um, or, or want to see coming back into the 2021 season that maybe wasn't there before this pandemic happened?
3: Uh, saying tarps is probably not a good answer no, here, um, but that would be great to have some field level assets in the future. But I think one thing that, that I've been interested in is just social media um, and how teams use that. I think we relied heavily on it this year as most teams did. We can't do anything with you on this asset and venue, or, you know, we're losing this asset altogether. Let's shift it to digital. And so I think there's a lot there that now, as we look back on the, planning for next year. What do we keep and what do we get rid of? Um, And I think there's some really good stuff that we did this year as a make good um, that we can keep for next year. And one of those examples, we have like a red zone partner. I think it just makes sense sometimes to to have some of those assets, not just be in venue, but also be on social as people are looking at their phone during a game, Um, whether they're in the venue, looking at their phone or they're watching the TV and looking at their phone too. Um, I think it just makes sense to have some of those assets be included on social, not just in the venue.
1: No, absolutely. And and as you, you know, from an analytics side and research side, did you find that from fan participation, engagement, did anything necessarily surprise you and like fans maybe interacting more with? your YouTube channel than expected, or, Hey, we saw that Instagram lives actually ended up being really popular and our partners became interested in content there. Was there anything that maybe surprised you?
3: Yeah, I think one, one big thing comes to mind there and that that's Instagram polls. Um, So on Instagram stories, doing a polling, uh, we kind of started that for the first time this year, probably almost midway through the season. We actually started that and, um, we saw a lot of engagements on those people just voting. I mean, it's so easy just to click, okay, which one do you want the A or B, you know, which side do you choose on this? Click, go ahead and move on to your next story as most people are just clicking through stories anyways. So um, we found a lot of success with that um, and, and started with one partner and then grew to two partners there. Um, and another one is, I mean, just with TikTok, with Instagram reels, um, trying to figure out how to use those um, has, has been challenging too I think that's a place where we haven't done much partner integration on yet um, but is is where we we see a lot of obviously views and engagements um, across those two platforms and and one that's that's difficult to measure in terms of analytics as well because there's not great analytics coming out on those. Things yeah because there's not the, the API capabilities if we want to go into some nerd talk there on on That's why this podcast yeah. is for this right is. Why, why it's hard to measure but um so I think going to the future will be interesting to see how how we develop a strategy behind some TikToks and Instagram reels and and how other teams um, do it as well because you know we like to look at what other teams are doing as well but but Instagram story polls has been a huge hit for us and has had a lot of success in our in our clients that we've used on those have have loved what we've shared with them on, on the amount of engagements. I had. have
1: participated in those. I think it's Wingstop is one of the partners on that. Correct. I'm participating over here in LA. So.
3: No, I love it. I appreciate it.
2: Now. Okay. So uh, getting into the granular of that, cause we haven't toyed around with Instagram story polls that much from a partner perspective. Is it really, like I guess you could guess the demographics of the people who are taking it based on the demographics of those who follow you on Instagram, but just the actual act of here's who voted, you're not able to kind of segment that down of people who voted.
1: No,
3: literally all Instagram gives you is the amount of people that voted for A, the amount of people that voted for B. And that's it. That's all that Instagram will give you. Still useful, yeah. It's still useful. It's still great to show hey, look what percentage of people that saw this actually voted. Um, And it's, we've, we've seen 70 to 80%. Uh, people that have seen it actually vote and so that's that's huge that's that's a huge number in terms of engagement right. compared to a normal just facebook or twitter post you know
1: i think where i've even seen from this year right is partnership measurement in regards to you know because things are so digital and so social and you know obviously we we can't necessarily rely on that in-game experience well most of us cannot i know you guys or Allowed some fans, but yeah, very um,
3: fortunate there.
1: Yes, but when it comes to you know this year beyond other years, like where have partners maybe challenged you in that, or or where you know again, do you find um, from a strategic standpoint that like you guys may have to you know, are are maybe ex- partners are expecting more now that every dollar for dollar is really being counted during this pandemic.
3: Just thinking back about training camp was kind of our first major test because um, it was obviously a lot, a lot different than a normal year. We didn't we didn't travel out to to California um, and obviously shortened time frame there. But that was really our first test of how can we prove to our presenting sponsor of, of training camp that the value is still there for them. Um, and a lot of that was digital. We had to prove them via digital. Um, and it took a lot of hey, look how much you had um, last year on digital look, what do you have this year? and then let's fill in the gaps of what you guys missed in terms of being on site of having people see your brand on site um, and let's see what that value was and how we made that up on digital. Uh, but training camp was a huge huge piece of trying to figure that out on the fly as as we were shifting everything then.
0: Yeah, I, I would say that one of the things that I've noticed as well is that more partners and brands have started to ask those more specific questions about where is this, where is this coming from? Have you noticed a specific shift coming almost from the other way rather than you guys being proactive or talk about that? Is that has there been a shift or change in that?
3: Yeah, there's been a little bit. Um, definitely. Our partners are getting smarter about it, as, as we know, and our, our partners are asking more questions about things. I think a lot of that comes down to we talk a lot about the psychology of not only our fans but our partners as well, and really where they are on the hierarchy hierarchy of needs. Because we, we found a lot of times when we kept in mind that when our partners are asking for money back because of uh, COVID, that a lot of them are asking. It back because they're trying to save their own jobs, you know. They're asking questions because they're trying to prove value to their bosses. Like, hey, look how much money I'm saving on our Dallas Cowboys partnership. I'm getting, you know, this much money back. Um, I, I should be able to keep my job because of that. So once we figure, like, once we kind of think about it that way, then that helps us steer our conversations with those partners um, back to, okay, this is what you're, this is why you're asking this. But here's what we're what we're doing for you um, and trying to show them and give them wins without having to, you know, give into everything they're asking.
2: Well, then pivoting from that to not necessarily only in just uh, pandemic times, but, you know, when Brittany mentioned uh, measurements, uh, Hunter, I think when we first connected, uh, one of the first things you had talked about was just getting started with playing around with Gov. This is not a sponsored podcast, but if YouGov does want to sponsor us, uh, we will gladly take your money. That said, what have you been able to use, um, say, with a a third party uh, research platform like YouGov to kind of help tell that story with your partners?
3: Yeah, it's it's huge to have that. Having any data at all to show that is big. Um, But the year over year concept uh, is big there. So showcasing where a client is, a partner is with our fans. Now compared to where they were a year ago, and how that's changed even during a pandemic is huge because they they see what we're doing on digital. They're seeing that we have only twenty thousand fans per game in our in our stadium, but they don't see what's happening with in our fans using them. YouGov allows us to look at that data and to show that hey, you even though we couldn't fulfill everything that you guys did or even though we switched your assets from in-venue to to digital, it still had an effect on our fans and it still drove revenue for you all. So I think that's been a key piece and YouGov gives us a lot of good data on that.
1: A question that I have, and I think we all face it, right, is what information partners are asking us for, right? You know, it's agencies, it's a lot of times impression based, it's, you know, media values, etc. What have you found uh, kind of a twofold question is something maybe, you know, you guys try to educate your partners with more instead of just having impression based data all the time and maybe also on the other end of that maybe something that you're hearing that's a little bit different or asked for i don't know necessarily if it's due to the pandemic or or anything like that but you know maybe something um besides getting the good old how many impressions did we get question um for every type of uh partnership measurement
3: the, the impression game, it's almost like you'll never win with that because there can always be more impressions or a company can always go buy more impressions somewhere. They can go right. buy it themselves on Facebook or they can go buy a TV ad that's always going to get more impressions than anything. It's taking a look at, okay, what effect did that have on our fans? I'm doing that either with YouGov data, doing that with survey data, that is where we're trying to steer our partners to think about. And not just think about, okay, your signage ran five times in our venue, and we had a hundred thousand people there or whatever it was. So this is how many people saw it. Now we're we're trying to say, okay, your signage ran in our venue, and because of that, look how many more people are now your customers, or have now visited your store, or now want to come visit your store, or if they're gonna buy a plane ticket, they're gonna look to you all first. Like I think that right there is what we're trying to shift. Mind of not only our customers but also our salespeople and our activation people to think about too, because a lot of times they're having those conversations with the partners. As a strategy team, you know a lot of us are not able to be on every single call with partners, so it's also educating our teams to be able to that way with with our partners.
1: I think for strategy, one of the challenges is always, especially when you're in the corporate partnerships focus, is kind of you know the balance between the sales standpoint and the activation standpoint from a proactive new business and then obviously helping to support activation with partnership measurement, et cetera, how do you feel like your time is balanced on a day-to-day basis?
3: Yeah, it's uh, a good question. And it changes depending on the time of the year. Right now, since our, our season just ended, I, it's it's very heavy with the activation team and, and helping with recaps. Um, and all the data that's needed for that, especially this year, you know, as, as it goes into springtime and summer, it shifts more to sales. Um, and then during the season, it's probably more sales. But this year, when 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 COVID hit, it was it switched from sales to to activation because a lot of you know the sales conversations honestly stopped, and we're now talking to partners about what we're going to do for them. I, I, it really depends on the time of year, but it, it definitely ebbs and flows depending on the time of year where it's, it's more heavy on the activation team and more heavy on the sales team. Um, and it probably depends on how each organization is set up. Like Our activation team handles all the recaps, handles renewals, um, and the sales team is strictly just focused on new business. So that may be different depending on how your organization is set up in terms of sales versus activation people.
0: So one of the things we like to ask is, what's an underutilized asset in a normal time? Obviously, you know, with COVID, there's lots of stuff, you know, the, the field sign the tarps are incredible uh, for many different reasons, and for some not as well. Um, but so what's one the underutilized asset or one asset that you think always performs and should be in more deals or people should be asking for? What's one of your favorites?
3: I guess there's just two answers here that I can think of. Anytime that a brand can really activate fully at an event, whether that's a game, draft party, any type of an event, whether they can fully activate, and when I talk about fully activate, I mean like actually they're spending money, a lot of money, to make this activation good. Um, I think there's there's real results there. fans um, stopping by and signing up for something or just getting in front of that brand, I think is um, is is really almost underutilized in a sense of brands, I don't think spend the money to make that asset what it needs to be a lot of times. Because they, you know, our sales team sells the asset and they they love it. They want to be in front of the fans. But then you know they in turn have to spend additional dollars to make sure that asset is up and running um, and, and looks good and fans want to come to it. Another one, uh, to go back to social media and talk about that, I think a lot of times keeping it simple is where we need to be. Uh, I think a lot of times we you know our our clients want custom content. The newest and greatest thing for social, and sometimes the the best stuff is just an engaging post, not a sponsored post, but just an engaging post. For example, I saw, I was doing some research for a coffee brand and, and the bears have a post where it's just like a, a contest for a caption, just a picture with a caption contest and they pick a winner and the winner gets a $25 gift card each week. So like, it's just, it's simple, right? That's that's going back to almost the basics of, of social media and it drives a lot of engagements. It drives a lot of value for, for their coffee partner. Um, and in turn they get a post with the caption contest and then, yeah, another post with the winner and what the caption was so uh, you're kind of double dipping there but i think a lot of times keeping it simple goes a long way and we could overthink some things sometimes and, and partners can overthink some things where they see this new shiny object object and want that but then don't um, you know just take what the the easiest part is and and the most engaging um, pieces of content it can be
0: exactly you almost don't have to reinvent the wheel sometime, sometimes sometimes What you have can work and it can be really well integrated, just like your example there with the Bears.
2: So that's great. Thanks. Well, Hunter, one thing we were talking about before we brought you on was the second screen experience. The Washington Wizards uh, are sampling it this year in the NBA. Plenty of NFL teams were testing it out this last year as well, too. Uh, What are your overall thoughts just on teams incorporating the second uh, screen experience?
3: I I think it's, it's interesting and I think it has a lot of possibly good play. Uh, depending on how to set up, but we've seen data, we've seen data on people using their phones even at games, using their phones when they're sitting in front of the TV. I know myself when I'm watching a game, I'm using my phone. Um, so having a, a second screen option, I think, uh, works well. And what the NFL did with Nickelodeon was was very interesting um, to me because they targeted a niche audience there with you know being on Nickelodeon for kids and and what they were able to do with A lot of the graphics, the slime in the end zone, SpongeBob popping up on the field goal—like a lot of that stuff is could be could be done on a second screen for that teams could use. um, That would be really intriguing for for those diehard fans, um, and really add some value for for partners as well.
2: I like the idea where you know, like say our basketball game, the second screen experience is not so much our you know, our MCs who are usually in the arena being the host, but actually Rumble, Rumble is our mascot, but Rumble and Rumble's assistant doing more of a second screen experience for the kids. So when the parents are trying to watch the game, they've got this second screen that their kids can be attracted to. Um, and they can kind of enjoy that part together during the break. I do like the possibilities of that. Armand?
0: Yeah, I think for me, one of the greatest things about the Nickelodeon uh, endeavor with the NFL is that it's appealing to a very specific audience, right? And ESPN actually did that with their broadcast, where they had three or four different types of broadcasts where you know Mina Kimes and a bunch of people were doing a very heavily focused analytics one on ESPN+. And I don't have ESPN+, so I couldn't watch it. But for the national champ, or for the semifinal between Clemson and Ohio State, there was like this sky cam view that you could watch if you really wanted to. And for me... I really like that because I like to watch the Madden view, right? For like the younger audience, more or less. So I think it's all about finding what that niche audience wants and then tailoring it to it, right? Some people like the huge graphic overlays with all the stats, and then there's there's an opportunity for sponsor integration. So I think this is what the norm is going to be. As Amazon, for example, when they did their broadcast with the the Cardinals and the Niners, they had three different things, and I tuned into all three of them because I wanted the different perspective to see what was available. So. I think there's lots of opportunities to really drill down into a niche, almost that it's never going to be one-to-one broadcast, but in the future, I think there will be this. You'll put on your TV, you'll tell exactly what you want to hear on what graphics you want to overlay, whether it's in Spanish, it's in English, maybe it's in something else.
2: Again, I think that could be the new norm where there's a lot of growth in this area. Well, Hunter, we always like to end our interviews uh, the same way, which is referencing a quote from Charlie Tremendous Jones, which is, you will be the same person five years from now as you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. So our final question is always, what is one book you'd recommend to our listeners uh, that could help them out in sports biz or in life? Or what's one piece of advice you've had from a mentor or a colleague in the last five years that uh, you've held on to?
3: Yeah, well, I know you guys have already had someone recommend Donald, Mil- Donald Miller um, in his book, so I won't mention that one, but I'm a huge Donald Miller fan, so I can uh, back him up on that one. Uh, but- if
2: Donald Miller wants to be a sponsor, <laughs> or we will also accept your money, YouGov or Donald Miller. We'll take it.
3: Okay, go ahead. Uh, well, the, the book I'm reading uh, currently is called The Infinite Game, um, which is really interesting, really about business and leadership um, in general. And really what it talks about is there's a finite games, which is like a basketball game, a football game, where there's a clear winner or loser during a set amount of time that's played. Um, But business is like an infinite game where there's no clear winner or loser, there may be times where businesses are ahead um, and behind, but it it always goes on. People change, roles change. Um, there's always things that change in it, um, and it's really, really interesting to read. One of the things uh, that I thought was interesting, this was obviously written before um, COVID happened, but to tie it back to COVID, there was a story, and they talked about um, the Swiss Army knife maker. It's a, I'm going to butcher this name, but it's like Victorinox is like the key maker of Swiss Army knives, um, but they had a big problem after 9-11 when you couldn't carry your Swiss Army knives on to airplanes anymore. Um, so they had a big drop-off in people buying them because Swiss Army knives before that were kind of a, a gift. Like people would give them as gifts, kind of like a a nice watch would be. Uh, they'd also you know, get a Swiss Army knife. Um, so one thing that they saw was their sales were dropping drastically on that, but they had... Kind of plans in place um and resources already in place just to shift their business to where now they're they're in the travel gear game they're they're pushing um watches now they've they've shifted business because of 9-11 impacted their main seller but they were well equipped enough to not just panic and try to you know sell it as they could and then and then die slowly but they they shifted and I think that's really important um in today's world where we see you know a lot of companies are struggling um because they don't know what to do when COVID hit, you know, their business impacted. Um, you know, a lot of businesses are just trying to keep their head above water as long as possible. Um, whereas you know some other businesses may be taking advantage of this time too and, and shifting some of their practices as well. So, um, very interesting book, uh, haven't made it all the way through, I'll be honest there, but, uh, what I've read so far is has been really um, interesting about just the game of business and how it doesn't, it doesn't end. There's not like a set time frames. like you get to this point and you make this much money, you're a winner, you're good to go. Um, but it keeps going and just being prepared for, for anything, um, is will keep you successful. Love Simon
0: Sinek, it's a great book. Uh, I read it recently, and it helps kind of think about. The, I've started to think about things now from an infinite mind perspective. So great choice, love that.
2: As much as your dog loves that <laughs> toy, uh, he
0: he he has found a new ball that he really likes. So we are <laughs> we are going with that now. So yes, thanks for picking up on that. <laughs> you bet.
1: All right. He is the manager of Corporate Partnerships Research and Analytics. So thanks again for joining us, Mr. Hunter Renfro.
3: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.